Welcome to TribCast, the flagship podcast for the Lacrosse Tribune. I'm digital news editor Scott Rada. We are joined, as always, by Elizabeth Byer. Oh, hey. And it is a busy week in the weather world, at least here in the lacrosse area. And joining us is Todd Shea, who is the warning coordination meteorologist at the National Weather Service office here in lacrosse. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So it's been cold. It has. We were talking on your way in that we have uh, been, in fact, record-setting cold. Yes, a part of this record cold spell that you know has been hitting the area, we set a new uh, uh, record low for the date of uh, January 31st of 33 below in, in La Crosse. So uh, broke the old record, I think, of 30 below. So not quite to the levels that we saw back in early February of 1996 with that cold wave, but um, boy, darn close. And, and, and again, this has been pretty widespread, not only here in La Crosse, but across your whole coverage area and, frankly, across the whole upper Midwest. You know, it's funny, I don't remember the phrase polar vortex being used until, what was that, about 2014, 2015? Is that a, is that a term that uh, meteorologists like you have been talking about for years before? Yeah, yeah. That, I think what when it first came out, our point was that it was really nothing new, nothing that's uh, magically materialized. But, uh, you know, over the hemispheres, I guess you will say, there's always uh, a bigger core of colder air, uh, uh, you know, a bigger low pressure area and stuff. And so it's just a matter of how far south those cold waves get. And in the case of what we're dealing with this week, it's it's more of that cold core um, you know, why it does this, I guess we're not always sure, but it, it literally came right over central Canada, right into the upper Midwest, the Western Great Lakes. And so, um, you know, it's safe to say that for uh, about a 48-hour period, we're dealing with some of the coldest temperatures uh, in the Northern Hemisphere right now. So. And this is weather that would normally be expected this time literally near the pole. Right, closer to the poles, uh, maybe Northern Canada, that sort of thing. Now, uh, we were again talking a bit earlier about how one of the ways you try to reach people now more than ever is through social media. And, and I think anybody who follows uh, La Crosse uh, National Weather Service office, and by the way, if you don't, you should, on Facebook and Twitter uh, is well prepared when things like this happen because you were warning folks about this for days and days. But anybody also who spends a little time on social media uh, sees some of those sometimes tongue-in-cheek and sometimes not about, well, how can it be this cold when we're supposed to have global warming? How do you talk to folks when, when confronted with those uh, accusations? One thing about climate change in this case is they realize that the climate is always changing. Uh, I think the questions come down to how much of a human influence or footprint are we um, leaving in our environment. But you have to be careful with just looking at one specific event. You know, if you had a heavy rain event uh, to just say this is global warming or uh, a cold wave and say, you know, what about climate change and stuff? I, I think those particular single events just kind of show you maybe more of the realm of possibility that we can get in the big picture. Uh, but you have to be careful making specific claims, if you will, from just one single type of event like this. And while this is going on here, uh, I think Australia is having some of its hottest weather they've seen in a very long time. Yeah, dealing with uh, uh, wildfires and record warm temperatures. And so, you know, they're dealing with their summer months right now, just as we're, you know, working through our winter here. We're recording this Thursday morning when we're, I think, still below zero. Yep. But uh, Saturday is going to be 40s. 
is I mean we're all thankful that it's going to warm up but is the, are there you know some of those problems that we may expect in what's a fairly quick warm up or are we because it happens over of maybe a 48 hour period there's nothing there that's unusual no it's something that we are certainly uh, concerned with uh, it's hard to tell we don't expect a rapid melt of everything obviously but when you uh, when you start looking at let's say uh, uh, predicted rain or, or predicted future precipitation with those warmer temperatures, uh, how cold is the ground still? So will there, will there be some refreezing? And then we also have to start looking at just the snow settling, anything that melts from that, any future liquid or rain that's going to fall on the snow, uh, at what that could do with our water systems, especially considering a lot of them are frozen up right now, or you know at least have a coating of ice. Start watching for ice jams and impacts on rivers and, and localized travel issues, I guess, is where we would be focusing. And certainly we can't help but think about winter, but your office is already looking a little bit ahead to spring. We're a few weeks away from the first flood forecast that you folks issue, what, two or three every spring that kind of uh, do your best at predicting some of where the, the flooding problems might be. Um, although I'm not going to ask you to speculate now, but it's a little early, but can you maybe just sort of walk people through what you look at to make some of those uh, forecasts? It is pretty complicated, and you have to realize that it's just a snow melt, you know, based flood outlook. Uh, but we typically will look at, uh, first of all, how wet have we been going into the winter? And mm. we've been pretty wet. You know, we had a wet fall, and you know, it seems and like... a warm fall, I yeah, think, too. Yeah, yeah, and... So we start looking at where the river levels are in respect to where they normally would be this time of year. And we start to look at, of course, uh, frost depth, current snow depth, how much liquid is locked up in that snow. So when it does melt, how much you know we can expect in our waterways. And then you start looking at future precipitation. And so there is probably 7, 10, 15 different parameters that, that go into a, a snow melt forecast, if you will. And that's and that's where the tricky part comes in because we've had years where we were pretty convinced that we were going to see really bad flooding and you know every all those parameters i listed were were in the high level but then we have the perfect gradual snow melt where you get warm days and freezing back at night and so it's nice and gradual and we really ended up with minimal issues so it's it's always a tricky type of thing to predict weeks out you know flood forecast from just snow melt and is, is there a, you know, well, first of all, up in your office, which for those who don't know is top granddad bluff, if you will, near some of the Hicks and Forest Trails, how many meteorologists do you have working at your office in total? We would typically have 16 or 17 meteorologists or so. Our staff is, uh, is about 23 total. Okay. But we also have some administrative and, and uh, some electronic technicians that keep, you know, everything up and running and maintained. So, and you're in um, a round-the-clock operation. We are, yep. 24 hours a day, you know, always running. We always have at least two people there. And then during active weather, uh, whether it be a severe thunderstorm outbreak or a big winter storm, we typically will bring in a few people extra or hold people over from a previous shift, things like that. And and we talked a little bit about social media as a way to connect with people. You still have a, a, ra- a radio uh, broadcast as well. We do. Some of our older technology, if you will, the old uh, NOAA weather radio service still goes. And we have, uh, out of our office, we broadcast 10 different transmitters around the region. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are transmitters nationwide. And I guess the nice thing about weather radio still, even with this day and age, is it is a, a, an alerting tool. People can have a radio sitting at their desk. 
or in their bedroom. And if they wanted to be alerted of a tornado watch at night or maybe warnings, uh, they can uh, get that alert that way. I also these days promote, you know, that you can get a lot of information on your cell phone these days. There's a lot of good apps. Uh, there are ways that you can sign up using, you know, local uh, media sources that can give you free warnings and things like that. So um, I, I think the biggest issue that we try to promote is just for people to stay informed and not get caught by surprise if there is some kind of hazardous weather coming. So I'm going to ask you an uncomfortable question now. Is there competition between you and the better-known meteorologists in the area? I mean, almost everybody knows Corey Vallis and Dan Breeden at the two TV stations. Are you, do you guys uh, sort of check each other's forecast and say, well, I said... 40% chance of rain, and he said 70% chance. I mean, how often are you checking the competition? Uh, to be honest, it's not a competition. Uh, we have chat systems with all of our television meteorologists, among other partners that we work with, that we can bounce things back and forth off of. Uh, we sometimes will take their input, just like they look at our input. Um, I think we work more as a team in a sense that we rely on a lot of what they do uh, to promote uh, safety, to promote current forecasts and get that word out because they're really, you know, one of the main messengers for us out there. Uh, in turn, they rely on us for things like, you know, the, the, the forecast information, but maybe uh, things like the winter storm watches and advisories and warnings and things like that and uh, climatological data, things like that. So, uh, no, we work together as a good team. We we have seminars together sometimes. We, we uh, visit each other's facilities. We all kind of working together to get the word out and promote safety. So. And I suppose the one advantage to being you is that when you're out at the grocery store or out for a night for dinner, people don't automatically come over and, and blame you for the, for the rain uh, ruining their weekend. Now that is true. Yes, you're right. I, um, we don't have that, I guess, uh, facial recognition <laughs> that some of the on-air personalities would. So um, we still hear a lot of the discussion going on at the checkout stands and grocery yeah. stores or things like that. But we know we're part of the, the business and, and we hear the criticisms, uh, maybe not as directly in every case, or the compliments. And we are always, you know, you know trying, to, trying to get feedback of what what we can get out from out there. But certainly isn't it true that over the past, well, since since you've been doing this professionally, that the science of weather forecasting has gotten much, much better? It has. It's it's changed um, many-fold over. I think there's a certain population out there that might disagree with that or um, kind of realize or think that it's always a 50-50 shot or something like that. But if you were to actually look at the statistics the forecasts in general have gotten a lot better. The warnings have gotten a lot better. It's not to say we're perfect by any means. Uh, we've had a, a case or two already this winter where the snow amounts you know, didn't work out as originally predicted. We've also had a lot of success stories. So there are still challenges. Uh, we review all of our cases, good or bad, and try to learn from those. And uh, yeah, again, as computer models Im improve, as we work with groups like Storm Spotters more and, and our our partners out there and stuff. The whole, I guess, weather enterprise, if you will, is improving and getting better. So how do the meteorologists at uh, the National Weather Service office mark Groundhog's Day? Uh, it's just kind of a fun thing, just uh, I guess like a lot of the other sources out there to uh, to kind of play with and look at. But you're not ready to tell us how many more uh, weeks of no. winter we have? No, no. 
In fact, we were kind of joking that, you know, given our recent cold spell here, if the, if the groundhog comes out in a few days and sees its shadow, and we're not going to be very happy because <laughs> I think we would like a little break from this as well. So Indeed. Well, we appreciate you taking time in, a, in what has, I'm sure, been a busy week for you, keeping all the people across your, how many county area? We have 28 counties in a three-state area here, parts of southeast Minnesota, northeast Iowa, and, and central and western Wisconsin. Yep. Well, and that's a big responsibility, making sure all those people are informed and, and, and acting as safely as they can. But again, thanks for taking a few minutes and joining us and letting folks know a little bit about what you do. Yeah, thank you again for uh, having me here today and uh, discussing these fun topics.